What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for being here. This is the Sneaky Emu. This is episode number 37. Number 37. Mom, thanks for listening. Um, we are I'm doing kind of like this little three-message series thing that we're calling the chair, the cup, and the bike. Uh, the chair, we ta- had to deal with like anger and how we deal with anger. The cup um, had to do with... Um, this idea of like, uh, it kind of discerning God's will. We talked about prayer and we talked about how prayer is about opening us up to the thing that God is doing in the here and now, um, where Jesus says, uh, take this cup from me. Uh, but then he says, if you can't take this cup, then, you know, may your will be done. And so there's this thought or idea that sometimes, um, we, we don't always just have to agree and like everything that's happening, but uh, prayer is about not just changing the circumstances, but opening us up to the things that are unfolding in front of us. And so this week, uh, this week we're calling The Bike. Um, and so it's kind of this like little mini series of ideas and stories and stuff. Um, but I have to tell you, this I know it's been maybe maybe a little heavy, um, today is going to be the heaviest <laughs> of the three. So like, if you, if you happen to have like kids listening, I know we have a few folks that listen with their kids. Um, <clears throat> you, you may want to pause this one and do it alone or listen to it first before you determine. I don't know. I just, I don't want to put you in a position to where you're having to have a inter- difficult conversation that you might not be ready, uh, for. So today, uh, I'm going to stall a little bit. Because essentially, um, we're talking, I want to talk about the idea of, of like, not the idea, the reality of death. So if you need to, to pause, um, <clears throat> today's going to be a little bit of a heavy one, uh, especially with the story that I tell. Um, we're going to talk about dealing with grief and loss, because part of being a human is, is is at some point dealing with death. So if you find yourself in a place that you might be a little extra sensitive to today, or, you know, um, feel free to pause, skip to the next trek in a week or so. <laughs> um, or if you've got kids and you're not ready for the conversation, uh, that's fine too. Um, if, I will say, if uh, something, I will say something that like, if, if this hits close uh, close to home for you today, uh, that in the end, hopefully, it will be a message of hope. So we'll get through the heavy stuff and then have a bit of a hopeful conclusion. Uh, so just trying to be respectful of if, you've, if you're dealing with or have dealt with something in the recent future or currently, uh, that's where we're going with everything today. So in my role as a pastor, one of the things that I deal with probably more than most people on a regular basis is death. I mean, outside of like funeral home directors and stuff, but, um, and the thing about funerals and death, um, especially when it comes to to the funeral components, it's not just about the one who has passed away. Uh, it's not, because their time, their time is gone. And so it's about being with the people that are remain. It's, it's about being with the living and walking with them through these really difficult moments. 
uh, at the loss of a loved one. That's part of my role. That's what I do. I've been through that, uh, a part of that process for many uh, people in the churches I've served over the past several years. And and one of the things that I've learned is that grief and, and loss is always a process. And, and everyone walks through that process like their own way and at their own pace. I, I've learned that as people go through the process of grieving, <clears throat> sometimes there's just not there's not really any words that can help you know I, i've been i've been because actually i used to work for a funeral home so i um which was really great training for what i do now because i i learned uh i watched i observed i saw how other ministers and funeral home directors handled things i saw how people reacted at the loss of their mothers and fathers and children and all kinds of crazy stuff um, I, I've facilitated, is that the right word, uh, many funerals over the past years at the church here. Um, th- there's been a few kind of interesting standout ones. There was one, uh, it, it was one of my first ones uh, in, in this job particularly, and the whole family, the, the, the man that passed away was uh, a country, country fella, big hunter, fisher type guy. And so the request of the family was that everyone wear camo, <laughs> which was really uh, interesting. And I don't, I don't have any camo, <laughs> so I defaulted to a like an olive green shirt. But it, but it felt weird not being in a suit for a funeral. Um, there was another one where uh, a gentleman who who had passed. Uh, the family just kept talking about how. Even though my perception of him, because I didn't know him super well, my perception of the, was that he was a pretty straight-laced sort of fella. But it turns out, like, he he was, like, kind of cut loose. Like, he, he was not, not wild in a bad way, but just, like, a very fun-loving person. And they would host dress-up parties, and he loved, like, uh, the absurd, like... Um, like, the gas station, gas station T-shirts that you see where it's, like a giant wolf howling at the moon or like (laughs) an oversized eagle with a flag with like whatever, like just, just kind of silliness. And so their request, um, he also loved Hawaiian shirts. And so their request was that, uh, everyone would wear a Hawaiian shirt. And so, uh, that when the day of the funeral came, I went, I, I had borrowed a, like a, uh, wolf howling at a moon shirt from somebody and then I had also borrowed a Hawaiian print shirt that I put over the Howling at the Moon shirt. And then I put my suit on over that. And so <laughs> when the family first saw me in my suit, I could tell they were a bit disappointed. Like, they, <laughs> like that's not what we asked for. Um, and so during, during the service, I had written it in a way that I came to a part where I was like, you know, but this isn't really who he was. And I said, I think I need to get more in tune with, uh, his name was Jack, uh, with, with who Jack was. And so I had started to take off my tie and my jacket and my shirt to reveal that I had underneath it the Hawaiian. And not only did I have the Hawaiian, but that under the Hawaiian, I had the wolf moon shirt thing, um, to which they had a good laugh and, you know, enjoyed the rest of the service. Uh, granted, your goal, by the way, <laughs> at a funeral is not to be the comedian right that's that's one thing 
I have learned. Now there is there is something to be said for being able to read a room and provide moments of like, um, uh, what's the best like a break because it's such you go through like this. You've been processing the loss of a loved one. You're planning a funeral on top of it. The funeral comes. You've got this usually about an hour long service or so. And it's just heavy, heavy, heavy. People are crying, sharing stories, seeing pictures. And and sometimes it's just nice to have a bit of a reprieve where y- you have a lighthearted moment to like kind of catch your breath. Um, so yeah, so I've been through a lot of this and, and I've, I've learned that grieving is always a process. And again, sometimes there's, there's not really any words that seem to help. I'm sorry for your loss sometimes doesn't cut it. Um, and even even the idea of the uh, greeting, the reception line, like a greeting after a funeral, if you've ever seen these, I always, I always offer the people that I'm handling a service for, I always kind of say like, you don't have to do that. Because I under, because it's exhausting. You're already dealing with a ton. And I understand that people want to pay their respects. And I do believe there's value and merit in that. But when you greet 100, 200 people, 50 people, whoever shows up at the funeral, and all they can say is, I'm sorry for your loss, or how you doing, or whatever, like, that can be extremely exhausting for the person that just, or the people that just lost their loved ones. So it seems like a bit of a silly a, a silly uh, tradition to me, like, maybe we need to figure out a better way to do that. Anyways, um, sometimes there's just not any words that can help. Uh, in John chapter 11, we're told about a time that uh, a close friend of Jesus dies. This is uh, Lazarus, if you're familiar with the story. John chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you, have been, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along all, along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. So this is a really powerful moment, a really powerful story. How does Jesus deal with the loss of a loved one? Jesus wept. Jesus himself, the one who is one with God, feels the pain and the loss of someone he loves. He allows himself to experience the full weight of this moment and have this outpouring of emotion. Right? In these types of moments, it's you you kind of have to let that experience like hit you. You you kind of have to feel the weight of it. You have to, and you have to be able to express all that has overcome you in that moment. Because if not, like that stuff stays with you. In fact, um, there's a. I have a buddy who was talking to me the other day about uh, how did he phrase it? It's like, um, it's like uh, emotion. It's like emotional release therapy, uh, or traumatic something release therapy. And the idea is that your body stores all of the stress, the hurt, the pain that you pick up 
with, uh, like going through your life over the week, the month, the years. And that even though your brain might not recognize it, a lot of the ailments and things that are going on within your body are because your body has in some way stored that stress, that pain, that hurt. And so, um, most people I think are afraid to like fully dive into this, but to have like, uh, a, an intentionally and, and slightly controlled fit of rage or crying or, you know, uh, unleashing this, this energy that's been stored within you is actually really good for, for your body, for not just for your mind, but for your body, which then affects your overall mental well-being. You know, maybe, maybe you've lost someone and you haven't fully grieved or you've, you haven't fully walked through that process. Um, you've, you have to be able to step into that hurt and that pain and that emotion in order to process it and, and, and express it. You, and you have to be able to let it out. If the Son of God needed to let it out, if Jesus wept, then I would suggest that we need to as well. There, there's this ancient Jewish practice um, that taps into this idea that's known as um, sitting Shiva. Have you heard this idea? The word Shiva means seven. And the idea is that if you lose someone, they're somebody that's close to you, somebody you love, there is this official seven-day mourning period. So you go sit Shiva with someone, you go to the house uh, of the person who has passed, and you sit with the family, and you're just there. Uh, if they if they want to talk, then you talk. If they want to sit in silence, then you just sit in silence. And the whole week, whether something is said or whether nothing gets said, uh, there's the fundamental message of Shiva is to let those who are mourning is to let those who are mourning um, know that they don't have to go through this alone, right? Which is a really powerful, powerful thought. Sometimes it's just having somebody there or going to be with somebody who's gone through something difficult through the loss of a loved one, right? Again, because there, there might not be anything you can say, right? Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. It only carries so much weight. Okay, thank you for caring. But also just you being there lets me know you care. Uh, we'll get through this. Okay, sure. Uh, things will get better. That doesn't, uh, all things heal, you know, time heals all things. Uh, okay. But in that moment, that's not super helpful. Uh, so the idea is that you, you as one supporting somebody that has lost a loved one, you go and you just simply are, you, you be, you exist in their presence as a sign that, that they're not alone. Um, if you've gone through, um, the loss of someone recently. Maybe it was like like close by, like time-wise, or maybe it was years ago. Like, yeah, that's tough. And I'm, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I'm also fully aware that at the end of a funeral service, it doesn't mean that everything's wrapped up. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the grieving process. This can take months and months and sometimes years to process and try to sort through. In fact, one of the things that I um, I learned early on um, is that I, I often use uh, a couple of cliches in a, in a funeral service. 
Um, and it's not because I don't care or I don't want to be specific to the person that has passed, but sometimes the cliches are, are like helpful for a reason. Like for example, uh, one of the things that, that I say in almost every certain, almost every funeral service I do is, you know, um, something to the effect of, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you for being here. I, I know today's a difficult day. Days like today are always going to be difficult, right? That's fairly, fairly vague and generic, but yet th there's, there's something there. Yes. That's days like today are difficult. And then, um, inevitably I will say something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, a, a person's essence can't be summarized in the few moments that we share today, right? So yes, we'll share facts and details and stories, but who they really were can't be summarized, can't be um, minimized to a 30, 40 minute funeral service, right? Um, so sometimes it's, it's just recognizing that this isn't the end of things, that this is just the beginning of things during a funeral service that, that can, at least I think, be somewhat helpful. And really, um, you know, when you think back to, if you've been to a funeral service, um, I, I don't, I don't remember that any, any service that I've been to for somebody that I've loved, like my, uh, when my, when my grandpa passed or when, um, some, uh, friends, like people, uh, not directly family related, but friends of family have passed that I don't remember like anything the guy said, you know, uh, what the preacher man said. I remember seeing the faces. I remember seeing the casket or the bodies. I remember those type of things, little vague moments of the, the place, uh, that, that the funeral was at, but never really like, oh, I remember that the preacher said this. And I mean, maybe, maybe you have a different perspective or take on this. Uh, but I, I think sometimes, again, it just comes back to showing up and being with the person, the people who have lost a loved one so that they know they're not alone as they go through this. Um, and so if you've gone through this recently, uh, can I also, can I say to you, that your life is not over, right? When you lose someone, you have a choice as to what kind of person you will become as your life moves forward, because your life will move forward. Their passing, their death is not the end of your life. Things will change. You will experience hurt and pain, but it's not the end of things. And even wasn't it a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when we talked about the butterfly and the word, uh, the word metamorphosis for transformed, uh, metamorpho, uh, and how when you break that down, it's like the life after, or the app, not afterlife, but like the next, the after form, right? You've gone through this, that, that is a metamorphosis process, and you come out on the other side, and there is this form after you've lost that loved one. It, it's easy when we suffer loss um, for whatever it is we lost or whoever it is we lost 
for that person or that thing to become the center of our life from that moment on, right? We had him, we had her, they were a big part of our lives, and now they're gone. And now there's just this <coughs> giant hole in our hearts, and that's all we can think about. And if we're not careful, we can allow for the entirety of the rest of our lives to become about what we don't have. And if we spend all our lives on what we don't have or who we don't have, we might miss out on what or who we do have. If I've gone through the loss of a parent or even even a child, which I can't even imagine because I've done some uh, services for that, and I've seen how parents have reacted and I can't even begin to imagine. But it's like sometimes uh, the parents will get stuck there in that moment at the loss of that child at whatever age they were. And then it's very difficult for them to maybe even be present with the kids that, with, with the siblings, with the kids that are still there, that are still alive, that need their love and attention. And again, I've never gone through that, so I can't possibly imagine. But I think the important thing is to remember that that the passing of that person, that loved one, that's not that's not the end of your being. Do you see? Do you understand? You see, we all have a choice as to what kind of person we will become um, after the loss of a loved one. In fact, in the in the book of Ruth. Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. And in, there's this really interesting bit uh, where she says, uh, where people um, call her by her name, Naomi. And she says, she responds to them by saying, like after she's lost her husband and her two sons, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. So she says, call me bitter. She goes to the loss of man your husband and your kids, that's a lot to process. And she she no longer identifies as who she was. She can only identify as bitterness. In the book of Job, um, Job loses everything. Uh, and at one point his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? Right. So even as Job uh, and, and his wife are losing everything, his wife becomes consumed with anger and bitterness, right? And and if we allow this sense of bitterness in as you're walking through some sort of difficult moment, it's possible that that anger, that bitterness, that hurt, that that can be that that can be consuming, right? Maybe maybe you've been through this and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you replay some of the moments leading up to the loss of a loved one and you can't stop thinking about if only I had done this or I wish I would have told them that or the last thing I said was right if you're carrying any sort of guilt or bitterness with you concerning the loss of someone you love can can I just can I very lovingly and gently say to you like you've got to acknowledge that you you've got to to find some way to be able to let that go, to let that out. And it's not saying you like wipe it from your memory as if it doesn't exist, but you've got to find a way to let that hurt out. Right? Jesus wept. That's that's such a huge thing for us to understand. Jesus wept. 
Weeping is a way for us as humans to acknowledge all of the hurt and all of the pain that we're going through. It's this outlet to express, to expel all of that hurt that is within you, like to take all of that and help process it and let it out for the sake of the self so that that hurt and that pain is not trapped within your being. Do you see? Um, there's this moment in one of the Psalms where the writer is kind of uh, is praying but also pouring out a lot of his hurt and pain because you, you can't continue to keep that stuff within you. Uh, going back to that um, e emotional release therapy stuff, like it will cause problems like in your being, like physically. And, and I think I've told that story before about um, uh, about how, when I had, I know this is a minor story, but when I had, um, I was having shoulder problems and the lady I went to see that like fixed it, she had asked me about, um, was I really stressed? And in that moment I really was. And she said, well, that's a place your body stores stress. And just the idea that my body has the, your body has the ability to take this, energy the things that are around you the the stresses that are that are really these intangible sorts of things but then process them in a way in which it becomes a tangible thing within your physical being right so part of the weeping is is about letting that go so in the psalms this writer is, is pouring out his pain um and he has this incredible line in which he says he says this uh, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. Right? Though you have see, have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. So the dude has gone through some stuff. He's gone through some really heavy stuff, and he's been angry, and he's been frustrated, and he's been bitter. But yet, there is this bit of hope. You will restore my life again. Like, I think sometimes what we don't understand, especially as we're going through some sort of heartbreak and hurt and pain, is that your heart, your, your being, you, are actually incredibly resilient. And when you give your heart to God, you can, in fact, be healed. And your heart can mend. Your heart can re can recover it might not be the exact same as it was before but you can recover those pieces can be put back together um i i mentioned i worked at a funeral home one of my roles um was early on was simply to deliver the cremains like the the ashes of the recently deceased to their families and, and this was a this was a bit of a tough job. Sometimes I, I did have a couple funny experiences with it, but um, had a lot of heavy experiences because this this moment when the guy from the funeral that was me shows up with an urn um, with the remains of a loved one, this is a moment where things kind of like really, really, really set in. Like that, this person isn't coming back, and and it's usually a couple days. Um, it's like 
after the funeral, maybe. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's before, obviously, but um, when you're holding the, the the remains of somebody's loved one in some sort of container, like that's a that's a very sobering moment. Um, there there was one of these that absolutely crushed me. Um, one in particular that uh, you know I will remember for as long as I live. Uh, there was this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it together. <laughs> but it's, I've told this story at church before, so. Uh, but it's a tough story. Um, there was this nine-year-old little girl one time. Uh, my daughter's nine currently. This nine-year-old little girl, who was hit by a train. And I remember how tough the funeral service was. And I remember seeing that small white coffin. And I remember seeing the grief-stricken parents. Right? And again, this was before I had kids. And this was heartbreaking then. And now I have kids. And I have one that's that specific age. And I, I remember... After the service, um, they had their daughter cremated, and then a couple of days later, I was the one who was responsible to take her remains to the to her family, and that that was one of the most difficult, brutal things. Uh, I, I pulled up to the house, and it was a small house in in a not so great part of town, and they had this like four foot chain link fence around the yard uh and so when i pulled up i could see grandma was outside she was watching baby brother maybe he was two years old three years old not enough to really know what was happening he was just kind of playing in the front yard and then there were like all these toys in the yard like her toys this little girl who's whose remains that I was carrying and like in the middle of the yard was her little pink bike, a bike, <sighs> little pink bike with pink and white streamers with a little white basket. You've seen this bike just there in the yard, a bike that she will never ride again. So there's all these reminders of this life of this little girl, of the life that was. And then back behind the house, right back behind the house, not far, like I, I could see behind the house and you could see like the train tracks, the train tracks where this nine-year-old little girl who I'm carrying in an urn took her last breath I mean just just walking through the gate I was flooded with emotions I remember I eventually got to the front door and I rang the bell and it took her mom a moment to come to the door and when she opened that door I remember just seeing the hurt and the pain in her face like her face just 
just swollen and red from what seems like days of crying. The house, the house was a wreck. She just didn't have the energy to do anything else. And here I stand with her daughter and I have to get her to sign this paperwork because that's part of the process. I have to, she has to sign off that she has received her daughter. So we sit down at the, uh, at the kitchen table and I gently, slowly hand her her daughter in a vase. And she takes that and she brings it into her chest and she holds it. She squeezes it. She kisses it. She cries over it. And so we're sitting there and I have to get her to sign the paperwork, verifying that I brought the right person to the right place. And then I have to return the personal items that they used for the little girl in the viewing. So I pass over a baggie with little barrettes and this little bracelet that she had on. And the mom grabbed those couple of things and she holds them with the urn and just continues to weep. So we're sitting here at this table as she's holding on to these last tangible reminders of her daughter. And as I look around the room, they've got pictures of the family everywhere. The pictures of this beautiful little girl who's been taken from her family. And the mom is sitting across from me and she's sobbing. And I find myself getting caught up in the weight of all of it. And I just begin to cry with her. This complete stranger. At this point, technically my job was done. I delivered the cremains. I got the paperwork signed. I could leave. But I, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave her. Not like this, not in this moment. And so I just sat. I, I didn't say anything. What was, there, what was there to say? Sometimes words just don't work. I'm sorry for your loss wasn't going to cut it. it it'll be okay doesn't work. Just hang in there. It seems to disregard the gravity of the situation. And so I just sat quietly in silence. We sat there, moving in and out of complete silence and then bouts of weeping. We sat there for like an hour as two complete strangers connected by this tragedy. And then eventually she broke the silence and she said, she said something that, that I'll never forget. She said, my only hope is that one day I will get to see her again. My only hope is that one day I will get to see her again. This whole experience wrecked me. My heart was pulverized as I'm sure hers was even more so. I left that day and I spent 
the next several days crying with this family over the loss of their daughter. You see, Jesus, Jesus wept. Because sometimes there, there are no words. And it's okay to allow yourself to feel the full weight, the full force of that loss. That's, that's, that's a healthy response to allow the grief to be poured out so that it doesn't get trapped within you and then lead you to some bitterness for the rest of your life. I'll never forget that day with that woman and her daughter. I'll never forget that moment where I had the privilege to sit Shiva with her, to just be, to embrace all these emotions that speak to the very nature of what it means to be human. And most of all, I'll never forget her words. My hope is that one day I will see her again. You see, the first Christians, they lived with a deep sense of that very same hope. They spoke of a day in the future when God will restore everything. You, me, everything on heaven and earth. And there is a great hope in that. We've talked about the idea of how in Revelation 21, we see like this ending, which is this new beginning. And we see heaven descending to earth. And the one seated on the throne says, I am making all things new. My hope is that one day I will see her again. To be human is to experience loss and pain and grief. But to follow the divine, to align yourself with God, is to allow yourself to fully experience these things and live with a sense of hope of restoration. To live with a sense of hope that your heart will be healed and that there will be a future where all things will be restored. It goes on to say that... There will be no weeping or mourning, and all the tears will be washed away, wiped away. And what did the psalmist what did the psalmist say? Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. Restoration is possible. Healing is possible. But it starts with acknowledging the hurt and the pain in learning, allowing that to be set free. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. My hope for you is that you can come to see that whatever you're feeling in moments like these, it, it's, it really is okay. Right? My hope is that you will make the choice not to become bitter and closed, closed off like we see in the story of Naomi. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. That you will choose to be open. 
my hope is that you will realize that that God is the one that sits Shiva with you, fully present. That in these moments, this is where he shows up to be. This is where he is by your side. That in this Shiva, that in this sitting, that in this presence, you will grieve you will grieve your loss, but also that you realize that there is restoration and that maybe you will come to the place eventually that you will find healing. And when you understand that healing is possible, that going through the process will lead to healing, will lead to restoration, Maybe in that idea you will find hope. So there you have it, friends, family. There is hope. There is always hope. Even in the middle of the hurt and the pain and the darkness, even going through the process of the loss of a loved one, there is always a possibility for hope and healing. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later.